we're going to start in the Word this morning in Psalm 19. This is David talking to God, his frustration about his own sin. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me, and then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. David, in this psalm, is frustrated with himself, and he's telling God, God, I don't understand why I do the things I do, and I don't think anybody does. Anybody in that boat? He says, who can understand his errors? God, cleanse me from secret faults. God, forgive me and cleanse me of the sins I don't even know I'm doing. I'm so clueless, I'm not even aware that I'm doing anything wrong. Please forgive me. In the next line, he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Presumption is defined as arrogant assumption. Presumptuous sins are those that people have wrapped so much in excuses and justifications that they don't think they're wrong anymore. Don't be thinking about somebody in your family. You're thinking about you. Come on now. But there is the type of person who knows something should be wrong, but for them it's not because I've, yeah, I know that's, that's the way I talk or that's the way I act, but, you know, there's reasons. And they've wrapped it in justifications and excuses and it becomes presumption where you're arrogantly assuming upon God and other people. And David says, if you cleanse me from secret faults and you keep me from presumptuous sins, then I'll be innocent of great transgression. Because everything in the middle, that's the sins I know about, the sins I'm battling, the sins I'm asking you to forgive me for, the sins I'm trying to conquer. Please forgive me of the sins I'm not even aware of on either end. Hello? Then I shall be blameless and be innocent of great transgression. Do you want that? Is that your prayer? That God would cleanse you from sins you're not even aware of yet? If it is, we're going to read together out loud the last verse. Don't pray this if you don't mean it because Jesus will take you at your word. He will move forward with you like you meant it when you said it. If you mean it, Let's read this, verse 14, the last three lines, together out loud. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and bring the loving conviction of Jesus Christ into this room right now, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would see you in your holiness, and that you would cleanse us from secret faults, and presumptuous sin. And may everything in our mouth and our mind be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name. James 5.16 is where we're going to hang out this morning. This is only the first half of the verse. I'll give you the next half of it a little later. James 5.16, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The word faults there is not the normal Bible word for sin. It includes all of our sin plus everything else. So when James says confess your faults to one another, he doesn't just mean confess your sins. 
it means a lot more than that that we're supposed to be talking to each other about. So what does it include? Well, obviously, number one, it is, includes the offenses against our neighbor. The things you've done that you know are sin, that were wrong to your spouse or your kids or your parents or your friends or your family members, uh, whatever you did that was wrong. It also would include your public offenses that just show up in your life, the things that you post online or the jokes that you tell at work or the language you use when you're not around church people, uh, just the things that you do in front of other people, you're not doing it to them, to offend them like you're not, I'm not, it's not just being rude or lustful, but you are unchristlike in front of people. It would include that. We're supposed to confess that to one another. Hey, I did that. Please pray for me. It would also include your secret sins that you're not doing to anyone else, but those secret lusts and appetites and passions and temptations and the state of mind that easily trip you up and overcome you. And some of that is sin. It's what you do with the computer in the middle of the night or what you put into your body when nobody else is around. But it's not just sin. It's any secret. Like a lot of you secretly deal with unwanted temptation that you've never given into, but it torments you. Sexual temptation of some sort, lots of different sorts. Or anger, that maybe you're really good at hiding and keeping your mouth shut, but it, it, it torments you. So you're not sinning, but it's something that's wrong and you need to let somebody know, hey, please pray for me. I need help. Or you're not choosing your anxiety or depression, but it's something that's running your life. Do you see what I mean by when he says confess your faults? It's not, it includes all of our sin, but it's much more than that. Are we together on this? Your personality flaws, offensive traits of your character. If you can't think of any, that's number one. Start right there. God, I confess that I don't think there's anything wrong with me. You don't get to call those battles or struggles. It's sin. It's wickedness. Confess it. There is no excuse. God does not understand. He understands more than you, but not in the way you want him to. Like, God will pat me on the head and say, I understand. No. Areas of weakness or temptation or habits of action and thought. So that could include sin. You've gotten in the habit of drinking too much, or you've gotten in the habit of cussing, or you've gotten in the habit of going places on the internet you shouldn't be going but it may not be just deeds that are sin it may just be that you spend way too much time playing video games or you just need to confess to a friend hey i am on my phone way too much through the day and i'm neglecting my kids and I, my house is a mess and and i'm not doing what i'm supposed to do i am wasting time it's not a sin to be on instagram or craigslist or whatever it is you do but if it's robbing you of the time God gave you to serve him, you're sinning. If you're always shopping after the next piece of hunting equipment or looking at Pinterest to see how to decorate your house next, whatever it is, I better stop with the examples. 
habits that you've developed of video games or shopping or reading. It's not wrong to read a novel, but if it's making you unproductive in your life and or toward God, your sports, your TV, your movies, all those things, if it's become a waste of time or an obsession or a bad habit, you need to confess that to somebody. You see, I'm saying we're confessing more than sin. We're confessing faults, things that aren't right in our life. You need to confess any unforgiveness toward anyone else. Any hard feelings or hard heart toward anyone at all. We have to say, hey, this was done to me and I know I need to forgive, but I'm having a really hard time. Please pray for me. I I just cannot get over this hurdle. Even if you're the one who was falsely accused or falsely wronged, your heart must be soft toward the person that wronged you. When Jesus was lied about, he was quiet and he prayed for forgiveness for the people who were doing it. The world says forgive and forget. Jesus says forgive and love. Don't forget about them. Love them. Do good to those who spitefully use you. We know that's true. You're not alone in those feelings or battles. Confess it to somebody. Hey, I am having a really hard time forgiving my spouse. I cannot get over this with my kid or my parents or my boss or somebody in church or whatever it is. Confess that. Anything. Confess anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit or hold you back in your growth in God. Who are we supposed to confess to? Notice in this verse, it's not God. Take the Bible as a whole. Of course we must confess our sins to God. That's a no-brainer. It's absolutely uh, inarguable. But this verse doesn't say that. This says we have to confess it to each other. As well as, in addition to, God. We have to confess it to each other. So who's that? Well, of course... The no-brainer is you have to confess it to the person that you wronged, and you have to fix it. And that's so simple, I don't even need to explain that one. You have to go to the person that you wronged and admit you were wrong and make it right. But if you sinned in public, you need to confess in public. I mean, if you sinned in front of your whole family, then the whole family needs to hear you. If you sinned in front of the church or on your posts on social media, then you need to go back and fix it there because that's where you did it. But this verse particularly, especially says, confess your faults to your praying friends. You see it? Confess it to one another and pray for each other. So after you've fixed it with the specific person, If you notice, hey, this is an actual habit of mine, I've done this three times this month, then you might need to go to somebody else, not necessarily the person that you wronged, but somebody else in your church or family that you trust who's an actual prayer and say, hey, can you please pray for me? And you take this verse for what it says, you will be healed. We put our faith in this promise that as you bring it out into the light and expose it and the other person prays for you in real Christian love, you will be healed from whatever it is that's plaguing you. So we confess, James says, to our praying friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, 
But there's a context to this verse, and this is only the first half of it. I want to show it to you as a whole. So let's read James 5, 14 to 16. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over you, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's the section of the verse we've been looking at so far. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So the whole verse is, confess your sins, pray for each other, and you will be healed because fervent, effective prayer really works. It truly works when we pray for each other. The specific context is of who's praying for you is talk, confess your faults to somebody who you know is fervent and effective and who will love you and pray for you fervently. The context there is supposed to be the elders of the church. They are supposed to be a fervent and effective prayers, but there's lots of other people that are also. So somebody is sick, James says, call the elders, have them anoint with oil and pray for you and you will be healed, except that you need to confess any sin. So he's not saying it's an automatic guarantee that if somebody else prays for your healing, you're just going to get healed like that. No, you have to confess your sin and then you pray for each other and you will be healed. Not all sickness is caused by sin, but a lot of it is. James says, have people who are fervent and effective prayers pray for you. Be honest, be transparent with them. Very few people do that. It was real, real quiet first service at this point too. So what good is it to confess our faults to one another? What, what good is that? Well, number one, James says you will be healed. But another one is that we can't pray for each other in real understanding and knowledge and real relationship unless we understand where each other is. Got to be honest with your Christian friends about this is what I'm really going through. This is what I'm really plagued by. This is who I am. This is me, warts and all. Here I am. This is, this is how I really think and how I behave. You are not meant to go through this Christian life alone and anonymous. You're certainly not meant to go through it in hiding. We are supposed to pray for each other with fervent love. One of the ways we do that is by knowing what to really pray for. Another reason you must confess your faults is to make repair for what you've done. You go to the person that you wronged and you repair it. And God will not forgive you until you do. You can't just ask God for forgiveness. You have to fix what you did. It's unlogical and unscriptural that God would just forgive us, but we don't have to go back and fix it. I know that you can't go back and fix a divorce from 30 years ago. I'm not, that's not what I mean by fix it. But you can go to your ex and apologize for how you spoke. If you refuse to make that repair, God will refuse to forgive you. Another reason we have to confess our sin is to bring it out in the light so that we can get rid of the burden of it because it's killing you. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Whoever confesses and forsakes. 
that Old Testament word forsake is the same as the New Testament word repent, to turn around and leave it. You must confess and repent. Sometimes people successfully, through enough self-control, can break a bad habit, but they don't ever admit to anybody that they needed help. God says you must confess and forsake in order to have mercy. Psalm 32, verses 1 to 5. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, my hand, your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David says, oh, it feels so good to be forgiven. Before I confessed it, I was dying inside. I could hardly get out of bed in the morning because I was just weighted down with secret guilt. And at the moment I spoke up and admitted I had the problem, God forgave me and set me free from it. You've got to bring it out in the light. It's not just you and God, folks. You have people that love you and care about you who will pray for you. But we all know why our flesh doesn't like that either. Another reason you need to confess is to remove the stumbling block from the one you injured because not only did, did you offend them or injure them or wrong them in some way, if you refuse to confess, either because you refuse to admit you were wrong or maybe you know you were wrong but you're too proud to go admit it, that other person does not know where you stand or maybe they do, maybe you're digging trenches and shooting at each other. I don't know. But when you are the one that has wronged and you refuse to go make it right, you become responsible for all of the fruit of your sin, including what happens in the other person's life. You're responsible for all of the results of your sin if you refuse to confess it. If you do confess it and you get on your knees and you apologize in all sincerity to the person that you wronged, your parents or your ex or your boss or whatever, like, I'm really sorry that was wrong, and they refuse to forgive you, you can't control that. But if you refuse to confess and ask forgiveness and that trips that person up and they end up getting hard-hearted at you're responsible for all of it. This church and every church the longer I'm pastor, the more stories I hear, is full of conflicts of people who disagreed in the past and they argue and one gets mad at the other and they say, you need to apologize to me and this person says, no, I don't, you're the one that's wrong and they build walls and they dig trenches and they start taking snipes at each other and eventually both, all of them end up outside of church and nobody goes to church anymore and we haven't been here for 20 years because I got hurt too badly there 20 years ago and it's all because of pride. The Bible calls it a stumbling block, and he says you're responsible for the stumbling blocks you lay in front of a fellow Christian. You must humble yourself and take that out of the way. You have to publicly confess because you're sinning publicly whether you know it or not. You are who you are, and you say what you say, and you watch what you watch, and you post what you post, and you go where you go, and then God convicts you of something. You're like, oh, 
ooh, yeah, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. God, please forgive me. You need to confess that wherever you did it. If you're in the habit of being at the bar drunk and God convicts you and you get out of that, you need to go to the bar and tell the guys, I was wrong for what I've been doing for the last few years. If you're posting stuff on Instagram, you need to post on Instagram your confession. Because you have older, more mature, more serious Christians watching you and we are very concerned about you. And you didn't know that it was wrong, you weren't convicted about it, but we were and we've been praying for you. We need to know that God's gotten through to you. And you have less serious, more immature Christians watching you thinking, well, if so-and-so does it, I guess it must be okay. They need to hear you say, no, I was wrong, it's not okay to watch that movie. It's not okay to excuse what I did all those years. I'm really sorry that I put that out there on Facebook. I'm really sorry that I said the, told those jokes at work all along. Your confession has to match your sin. There's also this silent first service. It's okay. The only possible way for us to restore relationship and confidence in each other is if, if there's confession. Because you're not doing it secretly anyway. People see it. People around you need to know that you're trustworthy. The sins of gossip and criticism and judgment, it's almost universally true that the people who do those minimize them, but everybody else knows who's the critical person, who's the judgmental person, and we're all drawing away from you. Because if you criticize so-and-so to me, you will criticize me to so-and-so. I'm not going to let you know me. I'm not going to be your friend because you're a critical person. So the only way to fix that is for you to publicly confess and repent of being a jerk, of not controlling your tongue because you aren't doing it in secret anyway. Lots of people see it, even if you don't. Another reason you need to confess is to create relationship. Nothing. In real Christians, nothing is going to move somebody's heart more in relationship to you to know exactly what you are dealing with. And you, you just bear yourself out there. This is me, warts and all, vulnerable. This is, this is all of it. The, a real Christian is going to, spawn, going to respond with real compassion and love and really pray for you and want you to see freedom and victory. And it will move their heart in real sympathy and fervent prayer and it creates relationship thank you for trusting me thank you for telling me this i will pray for you every day i will fast for you this week and we will keep praying fervently until we see victory amen your confession of your own sin is going to promote humility which we all love to not have to practice Charles Finney wrote, uh, said, Humility is a willingness to be known and estimated according to our real character. Who is the real you? While we are unwilling to confess, we have no humility at all. Nothing is more directly calculated to deepen, perpetuate, and perfect humility than a full and frequent confession of our faults. It's Charles Finney. 
Humility is the willingness to be known as you really are. This is me. When you are refusing to admit your sin, and I don't mean you're refusing to admit you were wrong. There's a difference. You in your own heart can know you were wrong. You can ask God for forgiveness, but I'm not going to let anybody know that I did that. I'm not going to let anybody know this is my battle. This is my temptation. I don't want to seem weak, and I don't want to be accountable. There's a big difference. You can know you're wrong and still be full of pride. I'm not going to confess this. I'll confess to God, but it's just him and me. It's our little secret. I don't want anybody else to know that. Well, look at this from James chapter 4, verse 6. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you're humble enough to say, hey, I, this, is how I, this is how I think and feel. This is the real me. I need help. Please pray for me. God is going to be all over that. If you refuse to admit that you need help, that you need a Savior, He's going to resist you. That isn't you resisting God, folks. It says God resists you. You will not win that battle. There are very few times God says, I will fight you. He says, I will fight you if you are proud. 1 Peter chapter 5. Oh, look at that. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You ever have your dad give you instruction and you just stared at him or you didn't hear or you sassed back or whatever and he said the exact same thing again? You're like, oh, yeah, dad's serious. He just quoted himself. Dad just said this twice, folks. I will fight you. You will not win if you are proud. If you are humble, I will give you all the grace I've got which is everything. Come on. Come on. Don't fight God. Humble yourself. I know it's hard. Your flesh doesn't want to die. Your flesh doesn't want to admit I'm weak. Your flesh wants to say, well, I can just self-control my way out of this. Your flesh is never going to win a civil war against itself. Come on. You're just saying, all to you, God, I give you everything. I surrender. Just surrender and be conquered instead of fighting a civil war in your own heart. You're not going to self-control your way out of this. You need saved. You need forgiven. Your heart needs to break and get softer instead of tough it out. Amen. Good preaching, Mitch. Man, I'm glad I got out of bed an hour early for this one. <laughs> Woo! Oh, if we confess our sin, it's absolutely, it's going to affect our own watchfulness over ourselves. Like, okay, yep, so-and-so knows about this now. I really have to be on guard against this. I have to be careful. And it's going to promote their watchfulness over us, which is exactly what we don't want. I don't want somebody watching over my shoulder. Yes, you do. That's exactly what you need is somebody looking over your shoulder. What are you looking at on the computer? Hey, do not give in to fear in the night. You have no right to give in to anxiety and depression. Quit that. I'm for you. We're praying for you. God is with you. I don't want somebody to know me that well. Yes, you do. You're not made to be anonymous. You're not made to be isolated in your own secret self, just you and God. We must have each other. God told Adam, it is not good that you be alone. Even when he had God. God told him he was alone, and it wasn't good. It's not enough for you to just confess your sin to God. 
You've got to let people in on you. This is me. This is how terrible I actually am. Are you going to run away screaming? Or are you going to love me and pray for me and be my friend? Confession invites more correction. I know who I can speak plainly to and who I can't. There are people who welcome my input and others who want to dispute it. So I don't bring it up. Your confession is also going to move other people to confess and repent. Because when a person in the church confesses, it holds a mirror up to everybody's soul. You know, you've heard somebody come and confess their sin at some point in some setting, and everybody's like, oh, me too. Nobody's, in the, nobody's thinking, no real Christian is thinking, oh, that pervert. They're thinking, oh, yeah, me too. I cannot tell you how many times people have made an appointment with me, come into my office, sit down, start crying, confessing a problem, and I'm like, oh, God, I have no business offering advice to this person because I have the same problem. <laughs> come on, you're not going to be rejected, not by real Christians. They're gonna, your confession is going to humble their own heart like, oh, well, yeah, let's pray for each other. I got the same problems. Let's pray for each other. What, I came to you for the answers. Well, I don't know any answer but Jesus. Let's just pray for each other. Come on. And your confession models the gospel because if you're confessing your sin in whatever context you need to and some unsaved person is like, whoa, well, they're a pretty good Christian. If they, if they think that they're bad off, then, then I really need help. Your confession is absolutely indispensable to your forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, if, capital I, capital F, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sin, that includes to God, but anybody else we need to confess to, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us and he will clean us, but we must confess. You cannot self-control your way out of this just between you and God. I'll just, I'll just suck it up. I'll just fight it. I'll just keep resisting or whatever it is you do, giving into it or feeling bad about it, crying about it. Is that working? Confess to someone. Get it out in the light. Become accountable. Admit you're not going to defeat this. Only Jesus can. Because you aren't moving forward in God if you're hiding sin. Listen to me really closely. I said hiding sin. Everybody sins. I don't know about a frequency. But if you admit it and you ask forgiveness and you ask God to defeat it for you, that's moving forward. But if you know you're doing something wrong and you refuse to confess it and admit it and deal with it, you're not only not moving forward in God, neither are you in neutral, you are moving toward hell. And you don't know it. You may think that life is going along all right, except this one area over here. 
and I know that's wrong, but I just refuse to tell somebody that I need help with that. I can control my drinking. I can control my internet use. I can control my tongue. If I just get a hold of it and grow up, I'm an adult. I can figure it out. No, you can't. You need Jesus. If there's some part over here that you're ignoring in your life on purpose, you're not moving forward in God. You can move forward in God sinning every day as long as you're falling forward into forgiveness and confession. But if you refuse to confess, you're not even in neutral. You're moving backward. And this verse also tells us that if somebody confesses to you, you have an obligation to pray for them fervently. You have an obligation to really care and pray for real, as you would have done for you. So, in all of that, we can see why there are so many people in the church who are in bondage to sin. Because we don't really confess our faults very often. Some people who get caught do. Even when they get caught, the public ones, they lie and lie for a while. The politicians and the preachers both do it. They just lie and lie and deny until finally the proof is irrefutable. And that's a really gross, wicked, sick thing in the church is that we have been through so many public scandals of people caught in their sin, people brought to the church by the people that they wounded or offended or destroyed with their sin, and they still just refuse to admit, but you have no right to judge the TV evangelists, do you? We have way too much regard for our own reputation to sincerely confess our faults, and we so we just keep wearing the chains and remain slaves of whatever it is, lust or depression, or pride or fear, whatever bad habit. You can also see why there's so little Christian relationship that's supposed to exist that we really truly know each other, that we care about each other from the depths of our heart because we don't want somebody to know the depths of our heart. If you would let somebody in, you would find out all of us are fighting some demon. And the real Christians would truly, truly love you with real, sincere love. But there's very little humility in the church because there's so very little confession of sin. I tried to think of songs we could sing today. There's no modern worship song about confessing sin. There's a couple old hymns maybe. Most of the invitation come to Jesus type songs we sing are come to him because he loves you and he'll heal you and he'll take your burdens. But we just completely jump over confess your sin, which is the beginning of it all. And nothing else will work until that happens. Well, there's very little confession in the church because people have very little confidence in each other's prayers. If you had confidence that somebody else's prayers would work for you, if you believed James 5.16, that if somebody else who's mature and effective in their prayers, that you would be healed, you would do it. But one of the reasons we don't is because I'm not sure I know anybody whose prayers are actually that effective. And really, there's a lot of people here that no one has any right to have any confidence in your prayers. Most average Christians generally look around and like, well, God doesn't answer my prayers. 
and I look at the lives of the people around me, and I see how they spend their time and what they do and what they watch, and I doubt if he watches, I doubt if he answers their prayers either. Like, they got the same problems and struggles that I do. Why would I confess that to somebody who's wallowing in the same sewer that I am? Once in a while, there is a mature believer who is known as a prayer who's actually separated from the world and prevails with God. And some people do go to them and say, hey, I have this problem, I need help. But a lot of times as a church leader, it's like we're having to pull teeth to get somebody to actually come in who we know needs help. Sometimes it's great, it's wonderful. A few of you are very humble. But um, it's just amazing that there isn't a line at the door of the people that you know who are mature believers who are actually living in victory and holiness. And like, here's this is me, and I'm a mess, and, and I need help. And, and I don't mean the kind of request that says, I'm a mess, pray for me and make me feel better. No, I mean come and say, I am ready to repent of this garbage. I'm ready to get rid of it and quit saying that I'm a mess. I'm ready to not be a mess. So the fact is really that there's very little honest desire to get rid of sin. We're very happy that Jesus just forgives us. If you were really agonizing over your sin, there would be a longer line at the doors of the folks who are mature, serious believers confessing and asking for prayer. The fact is that most so-called Christians would rather just prefer to remain in bondage than to actually confess that that's the case. They'd rather hide their chains and claim that they don't, those chains don't exist rather than ruin their reputation. I'm here to invite you this morning to take off your mask. Let us see the real you. Hold up your hands and let us see those handcuffs. Take off the cloak and let us see who you really are. Way too many people care more about their reputation than they do they hate their sin. Or they prefer concealment and isolation to humility. They care more about their reputation than holiness or what their neighbor thinks about them more than what God thinks about them. Usually, you're not hiding anything anyway. It's the folly of sin is that Satan gets you to sin, then he piles on the shame so that he can tell you don't confess this to anybody because they'll all judge you and then he keeps you in chains but you think you're hiding it but you're not because the mature Christians can see it anyway. They can see that you're not a praying person, you're not enthusiastic about worship, you're not really living in victory, you post a lot of self-pity or anger or dirty jokes or whatever. So you're not keeping your reputation anyway. Satan's got us, got us all trapped in fear of each other. In order to get really free, our confession has to be completely honest, completely full. This is me. This is everything. This is how bad it is. This is how I talk to my wife. This is how I talk to my husband. This is how rough our marriage actually is. This is how bad it is with our kids. This is how bad it is with my drinking. This is how bad it's gotten with my internet. 
This is how bad it's gotten with my hard-hearted unforgiveness toward so-and-so. Make it all naked. Mom, Dad, I'm using this stuff, and I want to burn it. If you confess half of it, you will not get half free. If you confess 90% of it, you are 0% free. 100%. This is all that I know and all that I understand and all that I remember. Here it is. There's nothing more important to getting free from sin than to confess it and bring it out into the light, and nothing else will work. You can't worship your way into God's good graces. You can't pray enough. You can't serve enough in church. You can't kiss up to God to make up for what you did. And you cannot get free by your own willpower. You need to admit, I need saved from my sin. Amen. When you do that, not only will Jesus forgive you, what's 1 John 1, 9 say? He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. You bring it out in the light like David said, it was all gone the moment I just admitted it. The moment I just spoke it, it was gone and I'm alive again. It's not just that God will forgive what you did in the past. You can move into the future not being tormented by lustful thoughts, not being addicted to alcohol, not being full of anger, not being unforgiving toward what your husband said 20 years ago. He can erase it. He will cleanse it away. And not only are you forgiven, but it's gone. You can forget the pictures you looked at. The effects of the drugs in your body, he can fix it. So maybe you stopped it years ago, but it still harmed you, but he can cleanse you if you will just confess it. Amen. So I want you all to turn your eyes on Jesus right now. So I want you to close your eyes. If you are physically able, I want you to get on your knees. Everybody who is physically able, get on your knees. If you're not physically able, you can just bow your head before him in some way right now. Close your eyes and just listen to me for a moment. Here's what we're going to do. It does absolutely no good to go trying to remember all the bad things we've done so that we can apologize to God for them again. The scripture says, search my heart, O God, and see if there is any unclean thing in me. So I want you to look at Jesus. I want you to imagine Jesus standing in front of you. I want you to see him in his purity and his holiness and his eyes of fire and his brightness that is brighter than the sun. As you look at Jesus, you will instantly see the difference between him and you. He wants you to draw near to him, but in order for that to happen, there are some things you have to address. You have to fix that in the past with your parents. That hateful rebellion that you threw up in their face. The things that you said and did to your dad and your mom. The things you've said and done to your spouse. The things you've said and done to your kids. The attitudes of your heart towards your boss. Or a school teacher or a church leader. 
There are things that have to get addressed in order for you to move forward into his holiness and purity. Look at Jesus, and we're going to ask him, Lord, if there is any unclean way in me, search my heart, O God. If there is any unclean thing, and whatever he brings up to mind, you're going to confess it. So Jesus, we ask you to fulfill that scripture that you would search our heart, O God, and see if there's anything unclean in us. We genuinely mean to surrender to you now. We want to be clean before you, and we want our relationships to be whole, and we want our heart to be light and burden-free. So Jesus, we ask you to bring up to us whatever we need to make right with you and or anyone else. Please listen closely. If what is in your mind and your heart right now is something you have apologized for 87 times before, that's not Jesus' voice. You need to have some faith that you're forgiven and you're clean and it's, it's under the blood and it's gone. But if there's any broken relationship, if there is any hard feelings, if there is any unforgiveness, if there is any offense on your part that you know you need to make right, even if you think your offense was 10% and the other person's was 90, you go apologize for your 10%. You humble yourself. Jesus, open the eyes of our heart to your purity. Open the eyes of our heart to our need, to our own sin to the difference between you and us. We truly want to be like you. We want to have your heart, that we pray for our enemies, that we are quick to repent. You told us to be eager, zealous, fast to repent of our sin. Staying where you're at, Staying before the Lord on your knees, I want you to get out your phone and I want you to text that person right now and say, we need to talk as soon as it's convenient. Don't leave this holy moment. If you leave this place, your flesh will talk yourself out of dealing with this. You have to make it right. You have to confess what you need to confess. Don't hide even 5% of it. Get it out in the light. Make repair. Apologize. Love. Get your phone out right now. Don't talk yourself out of it. Whatever Jesus has brought to mind in the last three minutes, text that person and say, I need to talk to you as soon as it's convenient for you. If the person's in the room, go to them as soon as we dismiss and make it right. Bring it out into the light. Don't let the devil in your flesh convince you not to move. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would set free us from secret faults and from presumptuous sin. Forgive us of the things we don't know what we're doing. Forgive us of the things that we have excused and wrapped in justifications. Deliver us from evil, Lord. And forgive our own wrong choices. The intentional ignoring of your will. Lord, I pray for restored relationships 
for every soul in this room. People in the past, people present, and God present right now. Bring conviction of sin and freedom and healing to every person whose heart is broken right now. Bless them all in Jesus' name. Amen.